All right. Again, what's the book we're in? Colossians. It helps if I bring everything up here with me. Always helps. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. What did we talk about last week? Prayer. Yes. Prayer. Does anybody in here ever struggle spending struggle with spending time in prayer? Honestly, I know I do. I, I think we all do. I think what happens a lot of times is we fall into to one of two categories when, when we're not really focused on prayer. And, and those categories are this. We either just don't spend a lot of time in prayer at all. Like we just go throughout our day and every once in a while we might talk to God, but most days we just kind of do what we need to do and we don't even communicate with God. And then the other category is this, that you say prayers but those prayers are prayers that you just kind of go through the motions. They're almost like prayers that you've got memorized and you say them when you're supposed to say them. Like this one. If you can finish this prayer, I'm going to start saying this and then I'm going to stop talking. If you know the rest of this prayer, I want you to finish it, okay? Are you ready? God is great. God is good. Okay, so... Now, does anybody pray more than that on that one? Like, I've heard there's other verses to that. Nobody? Okay. I know when I was a kid, that, that was like the dinner time prayer, except we, we actually stopped it. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. We were done. We didn't even go as far as some of you guys went. But there's other prayers too. How about this one? Now I lay me down to sleep. Yeah, that, that's it right there. See, those are prayers that some, how many of you have never heard those before? Like, you never heard the second one? Okay, you heard, most of you have heard them. Those are prayers that a lot of us know, but a lot of times when we sit down and say prayers like that, we're not even thinking about what those words mean. I mean, I mean look, look at that last one there. If I should die before I wake. I mean, you're teaching your little kid, hey, you might die while you're asleep. That, that's, that's the kind of prayer that we're teaching people. And we're not even necessarily thinking about what those words mean. Now, th those are good words. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a good thing. But a lot of times we say words like that and we don't even think about the way that we're praying. We don't think about what those words mean. And as we talked about last week, as we jumped into the book of Colossians, we talked about why Paul was praying for the church at Colossae. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what he was praying for them. Because just as important as the why is the what. When we talk to God, when we ask God for things, when we talk to God and, and thank him for things, when we talk to God about other people, the what is just as important as the why. So as we get into this tonight, we're going to see what Paul was praying for this early church in Colossae. And before we go any further than that, I've said it several times, who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul, thank you. Do we know when it was written? Yeah, somewhere 60 to 64 AD. 62 is the general consensus there. Do we know where we think he was when it was written? In prison. Remember, like nine times out of ten, you're pretty, pretty guaranteed to get that answer if you say prison because Paul was in prison a lot because he did what God wanted him to do and that's where he kept ending up. Do you remember what book was also written around this time? We talked about that last week. Ephesians, that's right. And do you remember who it was written to? The Church of Colossae, which was made up of what kind of people? Jews and Gentiles, but predominantly Gentiles. Remember we talked about Jewish people? Those are the ones who are, are Jewish in nationality. That, that is their heritage. Gentiles was everybody else that wasn't Jewish by birth. 
So that's what we're talking about. It was mainly Gentiles. Do you remember what the main idea of the book is? The supremacy of Christ in all things. I'm going to ask these questions every week, guys, because these questions matter. When we're going through books of the Bible, you need to know the context of what was happening. You need to know what was going on with the author. You need to know what was going on in the world and where this book comes from. Now, we talked about last week, there's two reasons that Paul wrote this book. Do you remember what those two reasons were? To warn and encourage. He warned them because there's, through this book, we find that there were false teachings that were happening in that church. People were teaching Jesus, but people were also teaching other things. And we also find that he writes to them because he wants to encourage him and that encourage them. And that's the prayer part that we got into last week. In verses 3 through 8, he says, here's why I pray for you. And why he prayed for them, it was their commitment to the gospel and their love for each other. That was the why. Because they were committed to living out the truth they knew about Jesus and because they were committed to loving other believers the way that God had called them to do. So tonight in verses 9 through 14, we talk about the what. What are the things that he prayed for this church and why in the world does that matter for us? So tonight, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to stand. Daniel, come on up. Daniel's going to read these verses for us tonight. So if y'all would stand while Daniel reads those for us. 9 through 14, buddy. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of his sins let's pray Dear God, thank you once again for giving us the opportunity to come here and continue to learn and worship you. And thank you for every little thing that you give us, including the right to go to church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Y'all can be seated. So we start to see there in those verses exactly what Paul is praying for this church in Colossae. And the first thing we see, there's actually three different things in that very first verse. In verse 9, it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So again, he's reminding him, we're praying for you. We've heard about you. We've heard what you're doing. We've heard how you're living out your faith. And we're praying for you. And he says, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, Paul's praying for them because of what he talked about in verses 3 through 8. And then he goes here and he talks about knowledge and wisdom and understanding. So if, if you remember... One of the things he was doing is he was writing them to warn them because there were false teachings popping up in the church of Colossae. So as he's writing to them, he's telling them, I want you to have knowledge and I want you to have wisdom. Because the people that were coming in that would have been offering this false teaching, they would have been offering knowledge and wisdom. The problem is the knowledge and wisdom that they were offering is not the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that Paul is talking about here. Their knowledge and wisdom, it, it would have been based not in the word or the work of God, but it would have been based in their own reasoning. 
And, and you see some of that today. You hear different scientific theories and philosophies and, and all kinds of different explanations of how the world works and why the world works and why people act like they do. And, and there's some very interesting theories out there, but there's a whole lot of them. Although they sound really intelligent when you compare them to what God's Word says, they're way off base. And Paul makes that clear with this distinction. Knowledge is a good thing. If, if it wasn't, he wouldn't pray for that. Now, that's contrary to how many, how many of you probably feel about school. Knowledge is a good thing. You having the ability to learn, to put new facts and information into your head, that's a good thing. Now, I will say this. There are going to be things that you learn in school that you probably never will use again, but you have to learn them to pass the test. And once you get a job, as you, you know, get a job or become a parent or whatever it is you do in life, you're going to need to continue learning. So knowledge is a good thing, and that's what Paul is saying there. But what he's saying is he's asking for a knowledge and wisdom not of man, but of God. He's asking that they would receive something from God, and he's asking that it says the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom. And there's a distinction there because the knowledge and wisdom that we gain a lot of times apart from the Word of God, there's a problem with that. That's knowledge and wisdom that comes from man's opinion, man's view. And the problem is every man, I don't care how great they are, I don't care how smart they are, how important they are, every man, every woman is a sinner. So any knowledge or wisdom that they have apart from the Word of God is twisted by their sin nature. And, and don't get me wrong, there's some really cool-sounding ideas out there. There's some really intelligent-sounding ideas out there. But anything that is put out there as knowledge and understanding and wisdom that's apart from what God's Word says is twisted by sin. And that's why we've got to check what we hear and what we see because you, you live in a world that's going to tell you that, that enlightenment and inner reflection and focusing on the self and meditation and thinking about who you are and your place in the universe, that's going to take you to the person that you need to be. And I'm here to tell you right now, the Word of God says the only thing that's going to get you to the person you've been created to be is a relationship through Jesus Christ. That's it. Now again, meditation's not bad. Scripture tells us we're supposed to meditate on what? Scripture. Exactly. That's not a bad thing, but we've got to make sure we're focusing on the right thing. And that's why Paul says what he says here. He's saying that this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding, as you pursue Jesus, God's going to fill you with knowledge of His will, just like what Paul is talking about there, but it's knowledge of His will done through the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit works in your life through that pursuit, you begin, to gain, you begin to gain wisdom. You begin to gain understanding. And I'm just going to read this so I don't mess it up. That, that understanding moves you to action and it moves you to holiness. That's the next thing Paul prays for them. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. And he prays in verse 10 for holiness. Look at what it says. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Everything he prays for them there in verse 9 is it so that they can live out what they know and believe to be true according to Scripture. Knowledge should move us to action. If you know the fact that you should not go out and lay in the middle of a four-lane highway and you never use that knowledge and instead you go take a nap in a four-lane highway, guess what's going to happen? You're dead. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get hurt pretty badly if you stay alive. 
The knowledge without the use of that knowledge means nothing. The knowledge that we gain should lead us to action. The knowledge that you gain about God, that spiritual wisdom, that spiritual understanding, should move you to action to live out what you believe. That understanding leads to action, and action leads to a deeper understanding of God. Let me put it simply this way. Understanding fuels holiness, and holiness fuels understanding. As you begin to seek to understand who God is, and you begin to understand who you are in relationship to Him, it should move you to action. It should move you to live a life that is pursuing Christ. It should move you to a life that is holy. Now, you will never be perfect. You will never attain Jesus' status but you seek to live a life that honors God. And as you do that, you grow closer to God. And as you grow closer to God, your understanding goes deeper, which means your actions and your holiness goes deeper. You see, it feeds, the other one feeds, each one feeds the other one. And that's the way that God has designed it for us. And then he goes on here and he prays something else for them in verse 11. He prays that they would have spiritual power. Look at what he says. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, spiritual power, that's, that's, that was a big issue in this Greco-Roman world at this time. What happened is, is people sought power, and the way that they sought power is they sought, they sought power through connections to various gods and different spiritual rituals. So they thought that if, if they went to this God and they sacrificed to this God and went through these rituals, that that God was going to protect them. And then if they went to this God and did these rituals, that God was going to bless them. And, and if they went to this God and did these rituals, he was going to give them money. And, and here he was going to do all of these different things. So they would make all of these different connections to these different gods and go through these different rituals because they thought they were benefiting from it. It was all about them. It was about what that God could do for them. And as we're looking at this here, Paul is taking that and he's turning it on his head. He's redirecting their desire that they had for power. He's trying to help them see that their desire for that spiritual power, it's not the desire that God has designed them to have. That power is not something that's supposed to be used or assumed for selfish reasons. That spiritual power, it's intended in the life of a believer to empower you to be able to live a life that honors God. See, that spiritual power is not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And that's what Paul is trying to help him see there. We don't pursue God for what God can do for us. God is not a blessing vending machine. Think about that for a second. Because a lot of times our prayers tend to go that direction, don't they? God, please keep me safe. God, please help me pass this test. God, please help me get this job. God, I really need this money. God, please take care of this. Those aren't bad things. Because if you truly believe God is the one that provides all of those things, we're supposed to ask God for those things, trusting that he's going to provide what we're supposed to have. But a lot of times we stop there. And we don't go past the what's in it for me. We've got to turn it and we've got to look at who God is. And that's what our prayers are supposed to reflect. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about this strength that comes from the power of God. He says it's for all endurance and patience. This is a plea for design, divine strength in the life of these believers to persevere in their faith. If you remember in the early church, as we talked about in some of these other books we've walked through in the early church, they were scattered because persecution was happening. 
And he's praying that they would have perseverance, that as they hear these false teachings, as they come up against these things that challenge their faith, that they're going to be able to stand firm together, that they're going to be able to resist the temptation of these false teachings. He's praying this power of endurance because it's going to carry them through difficult circumstances. And it's honestly the patience is going to help them deal with difficult people. Anybody get fed up with people sometimes? Yeah, I think we all do. We need patience. And let me tell you something. Just because we're in a church, just because we all profess a relationship with, G with God through Jesus, we sometimes get fed up with each other sometimes, don't we? He's saying, I'm praying for patience for you so that you can do this, so that you can have all of these things with the joy that only comes through God. I'm not talking about happiness, I'm talking about joy. There's times where you're happy, things make you smile, you feel good, and then there's other times where you feel miserable, when life is not at all going the way that you would like it to go. But even on those days, you can still have joy, knowing that no matter what happens, God is in control, and God has a plan for your life. And, and these people would have been facing some of those situations, and Paul is praying that they will have the power of God to endure to have patience with all of the joy that comes with that, no matter what they come up against. You see, what Paul is praying for here, Paul is praying important things that these believers need in their lives. And let's be honest, those are the same things we need in our lives. And then he brings it home here in verses 12 through 14. He talks about why we have all of that, why we have the ability to have all of that as believers. Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What he's talking about right there is he's talking about salvation. It's God who's done all of this in salvation. It is God who provides knowledge. It is God who provides understanding. It is God who provides wisdom. It is God that helps you to be holy. It is God that gives you spiritual power. Every bit of that, you can't do apart from God. You can try, but you'll fail miserably. We all will. He's saying that these things only come when you have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says God has qualified you. None of these believers in the early church, none of them were able to come to God on their own. And, and today, none of us are able to come on to God on our own. Just like them, their sin disqualified them from God's presence. Their sin guaranteed that they would spend eternity separated from God, away from His love, away from His mercy, away from His grace. And our sin guarantees the same thing for us, except for Jesus. That's why it says God is the one that qualified them, and God is the one that qualifies us, because on our own we are separated from God. Anybody who claims a relationship with God through Jesus cannot claim that relationship on their own merit. You can't work your way to God. You cannot even decide that you want God without God saying, come here. That's a big thing. God is the one that does this in us. God is the one that calls us. God is the one that saves us. He is the one that, as Paul says, qualifies us. And then he goes on in verse 13 and 14. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have a redemption the forgiveness of sins. When you place your faith and your trust in Jesus, we see here that you move what Scripture says is from darkness into the kingdom of light. There's another passage I want to read for you. It's not going to show up on the screen here. It's Ephesians chapter 10, or chapter 2, 1 through 10. Here's what it says. 
It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, two believers saying, before you knew Jesus, you were dead in your sin. You were alive physically, yes, just like all of us are. You're walking, you're breathing, you're talking, you're moving around physically, but you're kind of like a zombie because spiritually you're dead. There's nothing there. And then he goes on, he says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in his mercy, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. See, we're, we're before we know God, before we know Jesus, we're walking around dead in our trespasses, separated from him. But it says right there in verse 4, but God, because of his rich mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he is the one that has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, not by your own merit, not because you've done anything in this world that deserves it, but by grace and grace alone. And it says in verse 6, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every believer in this church that, that Paul wrote that letter to in Colossians, every single one of us, every single person ever is separated from God by their sin. And in our own power, we are irreversibly trapped in darkness. But Paul says there in that verse, in verse 14 of Colossians chapter 1, he says that the only hope we have, the only hope for anyone, is a relationship through Jesus Christ. It's in him we find hope. It's in him we find understanding. It's in him we find knowledge, and we find wisdom, and we find holiness, and we find spiritual power. It's only through him. That's the only way we can know God. That's the only way we can ever come to God. And Paul's reminding the early church that their identity, remember we talked about this earlier, Paul talks about how he called them the saints, the holy ones, how their identity was wrapped up in who God had made them. Their identity is only in God through their relationship, through Jesus. The understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom, the spiritual power, the holiness, all of those things that Paul prays for the early church, the only come through a relationship and a pursuit of Jesus. Think about that for a second. If those things only come through a relationship and pursuit of Jesus, and this is what Paul is praying for them, my question for you tonight is this, what are you praying for? Think about your prayers for a second. What are you praying for in your daily life? Is it the, God, keep me safe? God, I really need to pass this test. God, watch over my family. Those are good prayers. And God wants you to pray those prayers. But does it go beyond that? Does it go to, God, help me to pursue you. God, help me to be holy as you called me to be holy. 
God, I'm asking for the spiritual wisdom that only you can give, the understanding that leads to action, the knowledge that moves me to do what you've called me to do. God, I'm asking you to make me who you want me to be, knowing that there's going to be times that that's going to be painful. And there's going to be times that that's incredibly joyful. What are you praying for tonight? My challenge for you is this. Wherever you are in your prayer life with God, take it to the next step. If you say, Pastor Jesse, I'm not praying at all. Okay, pray tonight. Take a moment when the music starts, and I asked you to do this last week, when we get up to stand up and sing, don't stand up. Get on your knees before God right where you are. Nobody's going to think you're weird because other people will hopefully be doing it around you too. And just talk to God. If, if, if you don't talk to God regularly, talk to Him tonight. And I would challenge you, just like we did last week, don't just pray those things for yourselves. Remember, Paul was praying this for the church, people he didn't even know. Pray for these things for the people around you for your church. Maybe you're here tonight and you do regularly pray, but your prayers are kind of superficial. Maybe you need to take it a step deeper and make it more about God than about you. I challenge you to do that tonight. My prayer, my challenge for you tonight is to look at what are you praying for because what you pray for matters just as much as why you pray. And the only reason any of us can talk to God is because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because if you're at a point where you know that you're a sinner, He's calling you to put your faith and your trust in Him to be forgiven of your sin. And that starts with a prayer. It starts with talking to God. And there's no special words. It's simply saying, God, I'm a sinner. I can't forgive myself. I need you to forgive me. You don't have to use my words. You can use your own words. I encourage you to use your own words. Prayer in the life of a believer is incredibly important. What you pray is incredibly important. So my question for you is, what do your prayers look like tonight? Let's pray. God, we do thank you. We thank you for all of these things, God. You, you do bless us. God, sometimes that blessing comes in the forms of, of things that, that others would look at and say, man, their life is better because of God, because it's physical things. God, sometimes you bless us spiritually and emotionally in ways that nobody can ever see, and it may look like our life is falling apart to the rest of the world, God, and yet you're blessing us because of who you are. God, I pray tonight that as we spend a moment in prayer as we get on our knees as the music starts. God, help us to remember that what we pray is just as important as why we pray. God, the things that we need in our lives are not the things that a world who doesn't know you would ask for, God. It's the things that only you can give us, God. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, spiritual power, God, holiness. Things that we are completely lacking without you. God, I pray that for this group right here, right now. I pray that you would equip each believer, each person in this room that's put their faith and trust in you, God, with all of those things that Paul prayed. God, so that we as a group can live lives that are holy, lives that honor you, lives that look crazy to a rest of the world that doesn't know you, but lives that make people ask, what's different? Lives that make people want to know who you are who your son is.
God, we ask all these things in his name. In Jesus' name.